Hi, I'm Scott Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the GAF Podcast. This podcast is for professionals who want to work in the advisory space. It's a series of conversations and essential frameworks to give better advice. It's the stuff they don't teach you at uni. It's where value sits. So buckle in, volume up, let's go. In this podcast, I speak with John Jones from Brighton Jones Wealth Management, 13 offices throughout the USA. For John, it's all about the people. This is a great session. Tune in. Welcome to another episode of the GAF, Great Advisory Frameworks or Greatest All-Time Failures. Very excited to have John Jones here from all the way from the USA, from Brighton Jones. Welcome, John. Uh, thank you, Scotty. I appreciate it. Good to have you here. Now, mate, it, it is a funny story how we met. You were travelling with your kids around the world and you landed in Australia and through a mutual lovely person, Patricia Curtin, we got to meet up for a one-hour meeting and then, if I remember correctly, it took me three days to get you out of my house. <laughs> All I remember is hitchhiking on the side of the road with my four kids. And you came by and picked me up. And you were, <laughs> you were happy or nice enough to take me in. And for, just for all the parents out there, you did a, a one-year trip, took the kids with a backpack around how many countries? We hit uh, 35 countries. Wow. Uh, 35 countries. And, for, and it was a year to the date, you know, to the day, I mean. Yeah, we took a one-year trip. And you gave them one backpack? That was it? One, yeah, one backpack. Well, you had to carry everything. So it's like a backpack and maybe a, you know, a bag that you'd carry in your hands until you know, family came and visited and you could you know, give them some stuff to take home or you know, mail some stuff to take home. But yeah, it was just a backpack for, the, for all six of us. Fantastic. And uh, you know, I've got fond memories of you arriving in Cabarita and we will have to... Uh, organize our kids some sort of arranged marriage over the next few years to keep the family <laughs> together. But, mate, let's move on to Brighton Jones, though. Uh, what a success story that is. And I'd really love you to give all our listeners a bit of a, uh, a feel for where you started or where the, where the industry started in financial services and where it is now in the U.S. Sure. Yeah, I, so Charles Brighton and I, John Jones, so the firm's name's Brighton Jones, we started the business back in 2000. And we had met at Deloitte and Touche, you know, the, the accounting firm. And we were p- playing the role of, um, you know, financial advisors and investment advisors for clients. And we felt like there was really a better way to provide advice to clients uh, outside of kind of hourly and outside of the investment management. And so we, we left and started this concept called a personal CFO. And at the time, it was a, a newer concept of kind of managing people's balance sheets. But we would go to a corporate executive and and tell them, you know, hey, you're great at making money. Uh, let us help you, you know, maximize, you know, your balance sheet. And so together we'll make better decisions. And, um, and so that's kind of how we started the business was really just taking on the whole balance sheet. And at the time, you know, the, there wasn't a lot of planning going on. And so I, you know, back then it was easy to differentiate yourself, call yourself a personal CFO, call yourself a wealth manager. Nobody was using those terms. But today, you know, it's a pretty crowded market and it, it's a little harder to differentiate yourself by saying that you're, you know, you play, you play the role of either planning or holistic or wealth management or personal CFO. Everybody uses those terms. So 
it's a little little bit more difficult to differentiate yourself today than it was, you know, back in 2000. And so a little bit about our firm, like just to put it into context. So, you know, we started there, there was two of us today, we have a little over 200 people, we have 14 offices across the country, we have a little bit more than 15 billion uh, of assets under advisement, you know, we'll do roughly 60 million a year. Um, and, you know, uh, have call it 2000 clients that range between you know, call it a million-ish in net worth up to uh, probably our biggest client has 600 million in, in assets. So we have a family office business, uh, what we call a personal CFO business, which is a three to $30 million client. And then under 3 million is what we call um, just kind of our financial planning business. That's, well, that's our focus. Yeah. That's, that's an overnight success in how many years? <laughs> overnight success over 20, what, 21 years, yeah. 21 and a half years. Well done. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And now you you know you're leading the way, and I, I love this concept that uh, you, you're you're playing outside your designated lane that sort of sits in financial services. If you want to help me through that with some of the training, some of the concepts that you work with with your staff, with your advisors, with your clients around mindfulness. Yeah, well, let's just step back for a second. I would say that you know what is our why? It's really you know we help. What we say is we help people live a richer life. And so, you know, and it's not, we help wealthy people get wealthier. You know, it's really about this, this idea of richness being, you know, what is the best version of yourself? And so really helping people try to figure out like, you know, what is the best version of, the, of themselves and how can they live their richest life? And we clearly, we start with the balance sheet. We come in and help them get kind of financial freedom around their you know, peace of mind around how they manage their money and how their money's going to work for them. But you know, the, I think the coolest thing about what we do is we really sit in the crossroads of wealth and life for people and help them figure out, okay, how, what we, our def- definition of living a richer life is how can our clients align their resources with the things they care about most in life? And so resources being, you know, let's just say time, like we all have a certain amount of time and we all have a certain amount of money. And so how can we spend that time and money with our passions in life? and our purpose for life. You know, the one thing that we all know is we'll eventually die, unfortunately. And, you know, and if you're not thinking intentionally around what your purpose for life is, then, you, you know, you, you may not, you know, you may, you may not leave the legacy you want to leave. So I love the idea of really working with clients to help them figure out, like once you've cleaned up their balance sheet and you've helped them figure out, you know, their money, but I love the idea of helping people figure out like, what is your purpose for life and how can you spend your time and money in alignment with that? And what are your passions in life? Like, you know, day to day to day, you know, there's this journey you're living. What do you love to do day in and day out? And how can we help? How can we connect you with other people that have the same passions that you And John, how do you do that? How do you help light that fire for people around their passions? Is there a process you take them through? Yeah. So it starts with values. So you figure out your values identification and what's important to you. And as you live life, what are the things that are important to you? And, um, and then you can come out, come up with what we call richer life statements, which are statements relative to the different values you have. And then you can look at those value statements and say, okay, well, this is my value and this is where I'm at today. How, how might I close that gap to, to live more, more in alignment with that value? So I, again, why, why are we doing this? Because I, uh, our mission statement is to help people live a richer life. And so a richer life isn't just about money. Mm. I think it's about the alignment, you know, of your, your time and money with passions and purpose. And so we I feel like it's our obligation to help make sure that we're 
for clients that want that help, that we're moving up, let's just say moving up the value stack to add more value to their lives. And, and what, I, what I'm getting and sensing, and I, and I know to be true, is this is not an advertising statement. This is, this is real for you guys. This oh, yeah. is what you live yeah. and breathe. This is not a mechanism to attract more clients to pick up more funds under management. This is actually why you're getting out of bed. Well, if it's not, you, you won't have success, right? I mean, it, I just think with information so efficient today, if you're not really do, you know, you're not really doing what you say you're doing, or you don't really care about what you're doing, then it, you'll just be found. You just won't have success. So, I mean, we look, so how do we do it? We do it through hiring. We do it through training. We do it through intentional processes. Um, I, you know, we have a, what we call a winning formula for how we run our business, which is the idea of continuous improvement and how are we going to get better every day and everything we do. So, you know, it's just a lot of it intention with attention to get the results and, you know, so me, processes for everything. And It's always hard to get a word in with you. So let's, let, me, <laughs> let me ask a question. How do you do um, things like, you know, uh, mindfulness and having a director of yep. compassion, volunteer days, um, helping women become richer in around finance. Can you walk yes. me through a couple of those concepts that you've sure, brought sure. into the business? Um, so two on there, one was what we call messy, which is M E S I and messy is mindfulness based emotional and social intelligence. And it's this concept that um, you show up better as a human in everything that you do, the more emotional and social intelligence you have, and you, can, and you can either get more emotional and social intelligence through hope, like living life and hope I get better at it, or you can live at it, you can, you can treat it like a skill, something that you work on to get better. And so um, the, the essence of messy is that this idea of mindfulness, which is being present you know, in, in every, every moment that you can, moving from your one part of your brain to a different part of your brain so you can think thoughtfully versus uh, reacting emotionally, the more that you can show up that way with, you know, thoughtful responses versus emotional reactions, the better person you're going to be. It's the better teammate, the better advisor, the better, you know, husband, friend, whatever, whatever, however you're showing up. And so emotional intelligence, we define by saying that's self-confidence. So the more um, self-awareness you have and the, the more self-management you have, the more, the more uh, self-confidence you have, uh, and we call that emotional intelligence. Social intelligence, we, we think of that as um, you know, social awareness, awareness of people's thoughts and feelings around you or, or what we call empathy. So the more empathy you have, um, and, then, and then empathy in and of itself isn't, you know, it's just feeling somebody else's feelings. Compassion is not only feeling somebody else's feelings, but it's building relationships and doing something about it. So, so we think of social intelligence as more empathy and, and showing up compassionately to build relationships with others. So social intelligence is about social competence and, self, and emotional intelligence is about self-confidence. And then we have mindfulness practices, you know, all kinds of different mindfulness practices to, to build more self-awareness, self-management, empathy, and compassion uh, so that so that we can have more emotional and social intelligence. So we have a whole curriculum. We have a yellow belt that people um, get. Uh, so a baseline level of emotional and social intelligence. Then we go into a, a we use the karate curriculum. So it's like then they have a blue belt, then we have a brown belt, then we have a red belt. You know, and there's different books that you read and and things that 
help get you leveled up to, you know, build out your emotional and social intelligence. And we do that just so that we can show up better for each other as teammates and we show up better for our clients uh, to, to provide better advice. advice. Well, what, what do your peers think of this? Oh, I don't know. They're, I'm sure most of them just kind of roll their eyes at it. And, and actually they're pretty interested. It's because they're curious. It's just a lot of work and you can't, you can't fake this stuff. You know, you really got to do it and deliver on it. And I don't, I don't pay that much attention to what our peers I know. think. Now, we, we were talking earlier that, you know, how do you differentiate yourself in this market? And, you know, you, you, I think you were saying there's three different levels and you're probably where you guys play are at less than 5% of advisors that play in this space. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think back to the early 2000s and I'd show up to my, you know, meetings with my peers and they'd say, hey, Jones, you're, you'd be excited to know we hired another CFP today. It, because it's like they, the idea of hiring a planner for an investment shop was kind of a waste of money. And so, and today, of course, in the States, like everybody has CFPs, everybody has planners on their staff. So it's, that's just normal. Now they say, hey, uh, I, I, they haven't said this yet, but I'm waiting for the day. They'll say, hey, jo- Jones, I hired a, a life coach, another life coach today. Yeah. I, I hired somebody to help, you know, be, because I think of it as bound. So the, th- the four stages of our industry, stage one is investment. Stage two is investments with some planning. Stage three is total balance sheet management, which I'd say 5% of the firms are. Maybe, you know, the first 95% is some function of either investments only or with investments with planning. And then I think that there's very, very, very few. I don't know how many other than us, but there's a, there is more out there that are focused beyond the balance sheet. You know, and that's stage four, which is, I think, the disruption of where we're either wrong and in investing into a bunch of things that aren't, you know, that just will be fun to do and help us be better humans. Uh, or we're investing into things that will really be transformational for this industry as a whole. Because I think of industries, if you think back to, um, gosh, I just don't know how it was in Australia, but in the United States, we had these video stores. And when I was a kid, I'd walk into a video store. It was like, you know, please be kind, rewind. They're 99 cent videos. There was very little choice. And then there was a big race to scale in that business as money went in and there's aggregation. And then there's a blockbuster videos and Hollywood yep. videos and these huge race to scale. And w- what those companies weren't focused on is like, what's the very best thing for the consumer? And what's the very best thing for the employees? How do I create the very best experience for them? And how do I improve? How do I innovate? And how do I transform this industry? And then there's a company like Netflix that comes along and improves things by delivering uh, DVDs to people's homes, providing choice. And those, that was kind of a new way of doing, that was a great improvement, right? Just kind of a stage one improvement. The innovation that they had is how do we deliver content digitally anytime, anywhere, which was a huge innovation. And by that point, it was pretty much leaving Blockbuster and Hollywood video, you know, in the dust. And then the transformation was like, now they're content creators and there's Hulu and Amazon and Disney plus, and, you know, everybody's now in this new, what I call the new race to scale. So, the race to scale is how do I get from the mom and pop video store to the blockbuster? That's the race to scale. The race to winning is how do I improve, innovate, and transform you know, the business that are like obsessed around you know, your customer and your employee experience. And that's what Netflix did to disrupt that industry. And I think that's what's going to happen in our industry as well that gives smaller firms like a Brighton Jones, who's really nowhere compared to like a Goldman Sachs or Merrill Lynch or these other massive firms that got to scale on investment advisory firms. Like they, no doubt they got to scale, but that industry is investment advisory. Their pay schedules, their products, their whole business is built around that. 
And now they have to go transform. And how do we provide all of this other planning, you know, that these other firms are providing? And if we, we are right, it's like, how do I not just provide value around the balance sheet, but how do I provide value beyond the balance sheet to help build out? So one of the other things you asked, asked about were these communities that we're building out. So communities like Women Living a Richer Life is a community of our female clients that get together on a monthly basis to talk about things that are important to them. And we have a community impact circle and social and racial justice. So it's a group of clients that get together monthly to talk about social and racial justice and how can they learn from each other. We have one around the environment and how to, you know, clients get getting together to figure out what, how, what, how can they play a role towards, you know, better environmental practices. And we have another community around client uh, investments. So private investments, how can we leverage our clients? All of our clients have different expertise. They all have different access to deals and they have a collective balance sheet. How can they use that for their best benefit? And they get together on a monthly basis to talk about that stuff. So I think about those types of things of like, travel and awareness trips like we take clients to africa to do some awareness trips and and then go on a safari and you know it's like fun combined with awareness and building communities around all kinds of things that ultimately again the, the north star is how do we you know how do we help our clients in their pursuit of happiness and living a richer life might i want to become a client <laughs> all right well, we'll sign up Let's yeah, no, no. Look, yeah, you may have to move to the states in australia it's very similar themes are happening. And uh, yeah. a, a lot of the firms are now scrambling to get across total balance sheet. And the next level is, is you know, what I call sitting on the family board, which is what you're talking about, which is that integration of personal dreams and aspirations with business and personal wealth. How does it all integrate for me to lead, for, for that family to re- lead and enrich life? So very similar yeah. themes uh, running through it. Can we just talk about, for you, what does a great advisor look like, feel like, train like for you guys when you're looking for a new advisor to come in? Yeah, but before I move to that, I want to kind of hit on something you just said, which is this idea of like, I don't want this stuff just for super, super wealthy people either, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, super wealthy people can afford this and it's even, even the solutions for the ultra wealthy aren't that great today. So I want to create a product and a service that's phenomenal for all clients and the more you can put processes and technology to that, the more you can bring it downstream and provide it to more people. So that really, I'd say, is a, a, a big goal for us is how do we do everything we do and not just for people that you know have a ton of money. Um, so what does an advisor look like for us? It's somebody that uh, really cares about helping people in their pursuit of happiness, period. You know, that's it. I mean, we have oh. vertical expertise on investments. We have vertical expertise on taxes. We have vertical expertise on charitable and estate planning. So my advisors really need to be people that, that really care about helping other people and, and that have some interest in pers- clearly have some interest in personal finances. But, you know, when I started in the business, we had to know, uh, you know, a, kind of the breadth and depth was a lot. Now we're just bigger, right? So now I've got lots of depth and expertise in certain areas. So my advisors really have to be, you know, people that care about other people's lives and and getting and really getting things done. And so we have this saying of like, nobody really, uh, what is it? Nobody really cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. And so you know, it's like you know, just go and help people so figure out. A, you know, is there a process that you use to select advisors then? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty detailed interviewing process that that has role plays and mock interviews and and um, 
you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine. We just hired his son and, you know, we're getting old Scotty. So now yeah. you'll start hiring your, your kids, your, your uh, kids, friends will start becoming employees of yours. That's what's happening to me. So anyway, we hired one of my fr- best friend's sons and he told me in an interview, we asked him if you're in an interview or I'm sorry, you're in a, you're in a client meeting and the client uh, uses some racial slurs. What, what do you say? How are you going to respond? Mm. And I'm not going to force it, force you to answer that, but it's like, that's the type of question we're asking our people to interview just to see, you know, well, how are they going to respond to that? What are they, you know, and mm. it's, it's, um, you know, I don't know that there's even a right answer necessarily. It's yeah. really, how are they responding to tough interview questions? Like, how do they respond to that? And so we, yeah, we have a very detailed and regimented process around how we, you know, hire people and, and what I'm hearing, it's not all. It's not around how smart they are. It's not right. about how technically smart they are. No, it's not about IQ. It's about EQ. You yeah. know, we think it's about emotional and social intelligence, and yep. you know, really helping try to find people around. Yeah. And and just to for our listeners, can you just help me out with a client sees you on the internet or they're referred by somebody? They come in. What's is there? There's what's your planning process? How does that work? Well. <laughs> That's <laughs> so you got an hour. You got the next yeah, two hours. The Let's go quick. Yeah, yeah. The short version. The short version is, is you have a pre-discovery, you know, phone call, yep. and you're trying to figure out are you aligned on investments and um, you know what's the size of the client. Then you do a, what we call a, a planning meeting, or a, I'm sorry, a discovery meeting where we kind of create this what's called a total client profile. So this is before they're a client, uh, and then we put a whole financial plan together for them. You know, which is called the planning meeting, which um, that's again. You've, you've you're spending hours trying to figure out is this client going to be a good fit for us and and are we a good fit for them because yeah. I tell clients there's three things that you're going to have to answer in this process before you hire us is you know why would you do anything like why do you need an advisor like us you know so that's us we got to figure that out together uh, secondly it's you know why would we be the right advisor for you so first of all why do you need an advisor why us and why now so those are the three questions that we're trying to right. explore together and. So the first meeting is all around why do anything, which is the discovery meeting. Then it's, you know, why us, which is the planning meeting. And, and that's also kind of the why now, which is, you know, what are the, you know, what are the implications if you don't hire somebody and what's going to happen? So then, so we've gone through, we've got their plan. We've identified things that we need to do. They hire us. And then we start implementing them what's around what we call a wealth management scorecard. And the wealth management scorecard is all of the areas of planning, like taxes, investments, estate planning, charitable giving, employee benefits. So you you lay out what we call the wheel. We prioritize the wheel based on, you know, the client's preferences of what they want to focus on first. And then we just start tackling things and getting, you know, working our way around the priorities and, you know, getting things done and implemented. And fees, I assume it's a retainer or a scope of work? It's it's. Uh, almost always a basis point fee on their investable net worth. Yep. So we look at clients' net worth and uh, we take out, you know, personal assets, even though we still do a ton of work around personal assets, we just take them out and come up with what we think is a fair fee. Starts at less than 1%, scales down, you know, from there, you know, a client at 3 million is paying us 95 basis points, a client at 10 million is probably paying us 65 basis points, a client at 20 is probably paying us 50 basis points and, Playing 100 million is probably paying us 25 basis points. So and it just all, scales down as, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that's right. And that's all wrapped together. That's that's tax as well, tax return. No, tax, yeah, yeah. That we, we'll have a separate fee for the tax prep. 
Yep. Um, tax planning, you know, that's just part of what we do. So we'll have a tax person on the client account regardless. Yep. Um, but the tax uh, prep is a separate fee because, um, you know, it, it doesn't really matter your wealth size. Doesn't isn't necessarily correlated to your com- complexity around your tax return. Yeah, for sure. And so, so we all have, you know, we'll have tax engagements that are hundred thousand dollar tax engagements. Yet their personal CFO work is only twenty grand. Yes. And and then you'll have the the reverse where you'll have a, you know, two hundred thousand dollar client fee on the personal CFO work and their tax returns, you know, two grand. Yep. So. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So that's. I understand that. So in our world, that's you know, you're almost running a multifamily office. Is that how you describe it? Well, that's how I describe it for our larger clients. You know, yeah. clients, let's just say 30 million or more, because then we're doing bookkeeping and bill payment for them. We're probably doing some different concierge services with like, you know, household employees and you know, yes. work around that. But I would say for the clients that call it, you know, three to thirty or three to twenty, some dollar amount, it's pretty consistent, just like you know, the balance everything that comes up around their balance sheet, you know, we've probably dealt with before. And so yep. it's pretty normal stuff for us and, and we can help with whatever comes up. Right. And so let's look forward now, uh, John, what, what's the next five years looks like for Brighton Jones? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question because um, one of the things that I don't think anybody in our industry is focused on is like, you know, how does technology, how can technology play a transformative role uh, for clients. And so not, I'm not talking about better financial reporting or venture, better financial planning software. It's really around, you know, I would say all day, every day, uh, you know, your phone is listening to you, right? Siri absolutely, you know, or Alexa is listening to you. And so Apple and Google and Facebook and Amazon, and everybody's trying to get information from you. But the reason for that is they're trying to help you transact in life at the most efficient, lowest cost way possible. They're not, they're trying to find out as much about you as they can to help help you buy things that you want to buy, you know, to help um, do things that you want to do, you know, experiences that you want to go live. And so it can be a little creepy, so for sure. Um, but you think about what we do. Our clients say, here's, here's everything. Here's everything about me. Help me live a richer life. Yet we're not doing anything using automation to help them you know, live a richer life. So AI and, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning could go and find every client's house that needs to be refied, you know, and go refinance their houses. It could find every auto lease that's about to come up, connect them with an auto leasing company that we already have a deal with. You know, um, machine learning can, um, anything that's data-driven could do that for us. My advisors wouldn't even have to do anything and deliver value at scale using technology. Right now we deliver value at scale using like sweat, you know, roll up your sleeves and, you know, do work. And I think technology has the opportunity to, to, uh, I think of AI as assisted implementation, right? You know, machine learning and assisted assisted implementation for our our advisors. So um, I think technology is gonna completely change if we start thinking more like an Amazon and less like a financial advisor, like that's huge for us. Uh, or anybody in our industry, if you have enough money to invest into that. And then, um, and then I would also say for us, a, a, a big difference will be building out more um, tools around values and purpose planning for our clients. 
Yep. And then and then building out communities for our clients um, around their around their passions. You know, so that because if you find you know a passion like for you, like your family's field hockey, you're, you're all field hockey nuts, right? You've all I think there's every everybody in your family seems like an Olympic athlete <laughs> in field hockey these days. So if there is a community built around field hockey, you guys would foster that thing like crazy. And yeah. then others would be, others would be, you know, all over it as well that love field hockey. So I think that if we can foster those passions for our clients and connect people that are like-minded that one plus one will equal hundreds. That's, and, that's you know, why, why not do that? Like, why wouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. And what about for you personally? Jeez. I don't know. That's a deep question. How about come, come, come back to uh, Cabarita beach and, you know, watch you, watch you hit the big waves on the, on the stand up paddleboard. That's what, that's, that's my future. Oh, I don't know. I love work. I love what I do. I think work life integration is really important, you know, and um, you know, my, I have a lot of pe- friends that work with me at Brighton Jones. I have you know, a ton of friends or clients of ours at Brighton Jones and, and I think of it as one big community of helping each other kind of, you know, in their pursuit of happiness. And, and I would use the word pursuit of happiness or like, just think of that phrase of pursuit of happiness of not like a destination, right? There's no, there's not this, when people think of happy and they think of like um, this huge exhilarating thing that they're super happy about, that's not what we use. It's more of like, you know, what is the best version of yourself? And are you doing, living in alignment with that in your pursuit of daily living? every single day is a new day. And, and, you know, we never know when your last day will be. And so, you know, are you, are you, you know, really, you know, thinking intentionally around, you know, yep. each, each moment of every day. So, and we want to play a role. We yeah, John, love I, I to wanna, play a role. I want to you know, firstly, thank you for your time, but also what I want to know is just for our listeners, you know, you're fantastically successful. You're a visionary in what you do. Is there a single habit or is there something that you do weekly, daily that you think has given you the best chance of success in your professional career? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, so I'll, I'll call it mindfulness practices. Right. I think are huge for me because I, I grew up in a small town and, you know, uh, um, you, you, your emotions could get, I don't know, I just, like I'm an, I played a lot of sports. And so, you know, you, you can get carried away with your emotions quickly. And then that, it, you know, if I'm showing up emotionally, it's not always the best version of myself. Yep. And so I think the more I can slow down and think thoughtfully about what's happening in that moment, you know, what my responsibility of that happening in that moment, uh, I tend to show up a lot better. And right. our, our brains are, are built to react based on fear and greed, right? This idea of like, you know, this is happening to me. And that's how we survived as humans, you know, is this, this basic instinct of wanting more of everything and worrying about everything. But those are not great tools for being happy in today's world. So you have to kind of reprogram your brain to say, okay, shit, I know that kept me alive. That's why I'm even here as a human being based on fear and greed. That's what kept me alive, but that is not what's going to get you happy of living every day to its fullest. And so I work, I work hard to reprogram my brain to think about how do I show up differently than the way we were, I would say that than the way we were programmed as humans. And so, um, so mindfulness practices and that could, that, you know, what's a mindfulness practice. It could be, um, 
So people automatically go to meditation. And when they go to meditation, they think of, I don't know what they think of. They can think yep. of woo-woo and, yep. uh, you know, uh, touchy-feely stuff. And for me, it's, it's, it's this idea of focused attention. So taking my brain and having singular focus on one thing for as long as I can. Yep. So, so I'm, we're, we're in this uh, peer-to-peer accountability yellow belt group with my leadership team right now. And we're checking in with each other daily about what our practices are. And I said, I've been trying to, I have a Sonicare toothbrush and it goes for two minutes. And so if you have one or next time you brush your teeth, try to think about nothing but brushing your teeth. So you get the toothpaste, you put it on your toothbrush and then it hits your mouth. You feel it hit your teeth and your gums and, and try to see how long you can actually stay focused on just that before your mind wanders to like, Oh, what am I going to do today? Yeah, yeah. Or, oh, you know, you know, yeah. I'm thinking about something different yeah. and that exercise of, so again, focused attention on a singular activity is very hard for our brains to do, but the more you do it, the better you show up, uh, you know, in everyday life. And so those are brain training exercises. You know, others are like coloring exercises or Sudokus or, you know, or meditation. Meditation is certainly a, a practice that I have around focused breathing or square breathing and trying to get back centered. And, and uh, so I would say my daily practices, mindfulness practices. I'm just, I'm just giggling to myself. If I was a young advisor coming into this industry slash profession and they're listening to this guru who they were thinking, oh, this guy's going to be technically brilliant. <laughs> He's he going to make me think about brushing my teeth every day. Well, I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect. And I think it's, you know, it's music to my ears. Not, you know, evolution or revolution or this just stage where we're up to of people asking, demanding more from their advisors rather than just the technical, you know, this yeah. whole emotional and social overlay is just so, so important. And, well, and I think I, it's not yeah. to say that IQ is not important, right? IQ and being smart is is incredibly important. And what, what you're smart in, right, is also incredibly important. And so, so I would say for our business, we've evolved to the point where we have investment people, let's just go with, that are incredibly smart with investments. But if they also don't have a high emotional and social intelligence, they're not going to be very great at their job. They're just going to be okay. So I'll take somebody that has a, has a lower IQ on a particular topic with a higher ESQ because they're the ones that are going to get the most out of their intelligence anyway and be able to interact better with people to train people on topics or help clients with complex subjects. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a both and not an either or. Perfect. Perfect. Now I'm going to leave it there because that's a great way to leave it. I think. And I, I just want to thank you so much for your time. It's good to yeah, reconnect. It's really good to reconnect with you, my friend. And I'm, yeah. I'm really glad that you're in my world, but also, you know, for people, if they want to, I think it's a really good thing. People just have a flick through your website. Where do they find you? Uh, www.brightonjones.com. Fantastic. Thanks so much, mate. You're welcome. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the GAP podcast. We're all about empowering advisors, giving them additional tools for their toolkit to give great advice. Great advice leads to great business frameworks, which leads to great results for the community.